Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to Fair Points Podcast. Um, I'm excited to have a special guest today, um, Mr. Mike Hines. Mike, Michael is a vice chairman at CBRE with the Capital Markets Institutional Properties team in Philadelphia. He has over 30 years' experience in commercial real estate, specializing in the sale of industrial properties for institutional clients, real estate developers, as well as advisory services for corporate real estate clients. Mike, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Adir, thank you. Yeah, it's great to be uh, being on a call with you guys, and it's great having gotten to know you, having sold you a couple of things over the, the past year or so. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's it's a great ride, and uh, I hope it would continue at least for a few more years in this awesome cycle. And I think that we're in an industry that's um, really changed its face in the past ten years. Uh, and maybe before we just get into that, maybe you can share a little bit. Uh, about your career and CBRE National Partners, and we'll get started. Sure. Um, so I started a deer in the business in the, the mid-80s. I spent 18 years with Cushman and Wakefield, and I've been with CBRE for 17 years. And it's all been on the capital market side. Um, I went through Wisconsin's real estate program, so my first two years were as an analyst. Um, I guess up until 11 years ago, uh, my, my other senior partner, Robert Fay and I, our team did all property types. As a matter of fact, probably 35 or 40% of our revenue was urban and suburban office, although we did multifamily and we did some hotels and uh, retail uh, and, and industrial. And then 11 years ago, there were five teams within CBRE that were dominant within their region and, and these regions were us here in the Northeast, uh, Mike Caprilli and his team out of Chicago in the Midwest, Chris Riley and Frank Fallon in Atlanta, sort of Southeast, Randy Baird, Jack Fraker in Dallas, sort of Central, and then Darla Longo, Barbara Emmons coming, covering the West Coast. We formed what's called National Partners. So now we have a team of 77 people and we're unlike any other team in the industry in that we're 100% fee sharing. So we share real-time information. We share a common database. So if I'm marketing a 15-year Lowe's deal and Darla is pitching a Lowe's deal on the West Coast, she has real-time information if I'm two weeks ahead of her or a month ahead of her in the process. So it's worked out very well if you compare our production versus our top two competitors, we exceed them. So we do about we have about a you know 44% market share in the industrial sale space. So and we're having a lot of fun. How could we not have fun being in the number one you know food group <laughs> real estate, commercial real estate? Yeah, amazing. When you're thinking about your uh, 30 years career and looking at the past 10 years in terms of what industrial have become. Uh, where do you see, I mean, how, how do you feel that change? Yeah, dear, you know, industrial is, it's like a whole different product type today. And, you know, just automation, e-commerce, manufacturing, there, there's so many things that have changed industrial product today. I mean, who would have thought we would be building to 80 foot clear, like an Amazon G4-5? Who would have thought that we would be driving vans through a building, the auto automation that's going in these buildings today, you know, the consumer wanting something before they even hit the button to order it, you know, I mean, I, I, I would have never thought that 
you know, urban Philadelphia would be as popular as it is today. You know, for for years, institutional investors didn't like, and I'm using Philadelphia as an example. Now, almost every major developer or value add players trying to find really good sites in locations I-95 within Philadelphia County. Those are just a few examples. Totally different product today. Yeah, and, and I think the uh, supply chain, the traditional supply chain, is really has been modernized and with the e-commerce boom and remember we're just I know 20 21 percent uh, penetration rate of total retail uh, much behind other places in the in the western world that you know one of uh, CBRE's uh, researchers show and so there's there's a lot more to go as it seems as the infrastructure has to change to accommodate uh, the new e-commerce, the, the e-commerce, uh, the, the shoppers, the consumer behaviors. We just see things happening differently. Looking at, uh, you know, the delivery stations of Amazon really booming in 2020. So many uh, last mile stations. Uh, they have uh, doubled uh, their stations from 160 to about 320. Uh, it's an amazing growth. And that was even before they could have planned for COVID. So I think those changes really put industrial front and center. And that is that's a big difference than I guess before 2010 or even before the 2000s. But but most of you know, today, uh, a lot of the things you do are in the Northeast. And so, how would you what would you say makes the Northeast region uh, special? Well, I think what makes you know, listen, I grew up in the Midwest, and I, I I thought I'd come to Philadelphia and move back to Chicago. One of the reasons I stayed is look at the density of the Northeast. You've got Boston. You know, the 95 corridor is so dense. Boston, New York City, northern New Jersey, second second biggest port, by the way. Come down to Philadelphia, and then you got Baltimore, and you got D.C. I mean, you know, that, that density does not exist anywhere, and that's what's driving this industrial market, the access to population, and the port of Philadelphia, and the port of Wilmington, and the port of Baltimore. And I think it's even accelerated to, uh, you know, to, to add to your point, the density um, is being, is it, it's even much more important when you're thinking on the um, e-commerce world of uh, same-day delivery. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to have many more uh, locations and you've got to be much more precise and you have to forecast better your demand and your inventory. Uh, so dense locations receive many more industrial uh, needed infrastructure for the supply chain uh, than much less dense location. For example, you know, Memphis or Louisville, uh, where you see uh, uh, less of that. Um, and so I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but like Philadelphia is receiving a lot of the, that kind of uh, attraction because you could basically get, you know, an hour to two hours drive to New York City. And so you could have, you could, you could pay much less rent and be in the Philly area, still serve uh, the New York metro area as a whole. Do you see, I mean, do you see that kind of you see tenants shifting to Philadelphia, not only to serve the Philly area or the Delaware, but also uh, New York metro area? Yeah, it's interesting, Adir. We have a project right now, 415,000 square foot vacant, soon to be vacant building in Bucks County. So this is just north of Philadelphia County, north of the city. Uh, we have investors that have bid on this. And uh, we have three users that have bid on this 415,000 square foot building. All three users are from northern New Jersey. Like one of them's from Brooklyn, like Brooklyn, Bayonne. They're, you know, they, they can't find space north. Um, and it's, to your point, so much cheaper down here um, 
And even labor is even a little bit better down here for them. And the only other thing I would add when you were talking about delivery stations and close to population centers, what makes the Northeast, I think, really unique is, you know, you have to have, you know, you have to have a million square foot non-sort or sort of big DC servicing these smaller, you know, 115,000 square foot last mile. And whether you're talking about Target or whether you're talking about Walmart, you know, they all have these different logistic structures. And we're fortunate enough that we do have some land available in the 78 and 81 corridor, sort of in central PA, that can service these smaller, closer to consumer warehouses that you guys have been so successful in buying. Yeah, and, and in terms of delivery, Mike, um, it seems that uh, for at least for the maybe shed some light on the larger bulk delivery versus uh, um, lower than 100,000 square feet uh, uh, new deliveries. How do you see that uh, trend in the past few years? And is it getting absorbed? Yeah, um, it, it is getting, it, it's getting absorbed. I mean, it's, in, you know, I'm, I'm biased to the Northeast, but I can't, you know, uh, statistics are statistics. And, you know, I printed something, James Breeze heads our industrial market research and over the past year, three of the top five fastest growing markets, okay, Northeast U.S. leads based rent growth. Rents grew in northern New Jersey 30.6%, number one in the country. Inland Empire, number two. Philadelphia, number three, 23.7%. Nashville, four, 22%. Central the 20%. So three out of the five fastest growing growth in rent are right here. I mean, it's just, we're, we're very fortunate that, that we have this. And then you ask about development, you know, I think 87% of the development that's in the pipeline right now is greater buildings that are greater than a hundred thousand square feet. So there's not much being built less than a hundred thousand square feet. And if you look at rent growth within that space, it's very high. It's actually exceeding bulk. So I think there's a real opportunity on deals like Runamy that you bought from us and going into the future with your thesis, which I believe is you guys won't buy a building bigger than 200 or 250,000 square feet. So I, I think your thesis is really, really good going into this lack of development on smaller base space because you might see rents even run harder in the near term, one to three years in buildings that are 150,000 square feet or less. Thanks, Mike. And it's, it's certainly unbelievable to look at the numbers. I always have to look a few times to make sure that these are actually uh, the rent growth that are out there. It's, um, I mean, it, there's a few things in the industry that are unbelievable today. One of them is rent growth. The other one is uh, interest rate uh, on loans and those things together really increase investors' appetite. And, and that's true. Our thesis is um, below 250,000 square feet. One of the main things that brought us to there is the fact that supply is very constrained. And today it's even more emphasized as construction cost is much higher. So if you want to build something, if you're already building something, you're better off building something larger for because of economy of scale. And and so I think it's um it's a it's a good time today to be an industrial uh, investor as long as we keep on seeing this fundamental change of, of e-commerce and overall modernization of, of supply uh, supply chain. And so another question, so thinking about who's taking most of that space, I know Amazon is on, is on the top, but do you see additional players trying 
to modernize the supply chain, get more, um, get more locations out there to really compete, uh, you know, for the consumer's heart for two days, same day, or next day delivery. Yeah. So it, that's, that's a great question. So last year, well, let me just start by saying th- third-party logistics are the leader in space absorption. Uh, year-to-date 2021, they represent about 31% of the space that's been absorbed. You ask about Amazon. La- this time last year, Amazon represented 22% of the growth of the market, the U.S. market. What's interesting is this year, Amazon is only at 10%. So they're less than half. So Amazon has actually started to slow down. 3PLs are picking up. Target, Walmart, Lowe's, you know, some of these other groups have really sort of stepped into the space. And you know, the Target's got a whole new plan, a flow center. Um, you know, it's given them the opportunity now that Amazon has slowed down, for them to step in and improve their... It's, I think some of those firms like um, Walmart, as they have about 4,700 locations, physical locations, they're having probably an easier time uh, to serve their customers and, and they're capitalizing on that. So, so um, Amazon were trying to catch up with, you know, getting, make sure they're covering the entire nation uh, for their consumers. And other firms uh, that cannot do that have to go through a 3PL so we see this rise of 3PL, and not just the traditional 3PL, but many uh, modern 3PL companies, you know, such as uh, ShipBob uh, or DaVinci Microfulfillment, you know, new companies that are trying to change the way the traditional 3PL was uh, based on pallets, uh, rather based on um, trying to base things on parcel because of, uh, e- you know, e-commerce working differently uh, than, uh, uh, than retailers. So it's, a, it's an interesting time to see 3PL, I think it's a $200 billion uh, dollars industry really uh, changing, growing, modernizing, uh, and new players coming, uh, you know, into this um, into the sector. Um, so, you know, we're thinking about supply chain. To summarize that, uh, as supply in the uh, overall market is even if it's growing in the bulk, it's really getting absorbed. Uh, in more in the last mile, smaller properties, it's it's um, not being built too much. So prices are really um, may rent growth is a little bit uh, stronger than the the bulk, even though bulk is very, very strong. And in specific areas of bulk, you can see people actually just choosing their price because there's just not enough out there. Um, So that's very, very um, interesting. But when thinking about capital markets and investors' um, appetite, do you see a shift during COVID, pre-COVID, after COVID, from reallocating institutional players, reallocating their capital towards more industrial? Oh, absolutely. And, it, um, you know, it's it's domestic pension funds, right, that are they're changing their model because they want more logistics or industrial. It's, you know, it's high net worth families. You know, I've, I've got um, two transactions in the Northeast with a group that we haven't seen in 10 years. They've been focused on, you know, office. They've been focused on industrial COVID hits, their investors, um, their family members have totally shifted. And, you know, there's an example right there. Two, one's an urban deal and one is a suburban deal. And then, you know, we still see new entrants from the foreign markets too, which Jack Fraker on my team covers. And I think a great example of that is the Lowe's deal that we sold in Shippensburg 
to Pantagadea, which is a, a very, very wealthy family out of Spain. I think the fifth wealthiest family out of Spain. Mm-hmm. And this was literally their uh, second acquisition in the United States. They closed the Duke Lowe's deal two weeks before uh, they bid on our, uh, it was a Duke Amazon deal, I'm sorry, in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. So the, all across the board, new entrants that you guys are competing against. Yeah, we, we can definitely feel that. Um, I think that um, certainly institutions today, I mean, we feel that too, not just in the bulk space, also in the uh, uh, smaller space. Um, it's less uh, call for offers style. So uh, it has a more off-market feeling, but definitely uh, competition is on the on the rise uh, throughout the nation. That over um, allocation or new allocation has a lot of impact, uh, of course, on cap rates. So do you think cap rates today uh, are still attractive uh, in your view, Mike? I do because, you know, even if it's a three cap, which we're, we're going to break a three cap uh, in New Jersey and we're going to have another one, you know, you can get accretive debt. You can get debt at, you know, 2% today, depending on, you know, the credit and depending on the term. So I, I, I do. And, you know, maybe there are some markets where I, I, I think the, the spread between cap rates, maybe pick like, I don't know, central northern New Jersey versus, you know, central Pennsylvania or the southern 81 corridor. I think these spreads are too great today. I think the rental, the, the gap between rents, if, you know, the 33 corridor in the Lehigh Valley is 850 today and, you know, you go out to Harrisburg and it might be six or 550, that's too big of a gap. And with steel prices and land going up and I mean, just prices in general, the next phase of buildings that come out of the ground are going to be so much more expensive. The rents are going to be a lot higher. So, you know, I think there is going to be cap rate compression. I just, my point is it's going to be more aggressive in certain markets and less aggressive uh, maybe in, you know, uh, gateway markets. Mm -hmm. I understand. And and I completely agree on the interest rate uh, uh, comment. Um, We see some financial instruments today at even 1.6, 1.7, what what, what they call the SAS, the single asset, single borrower kind of stuff. Um, If you have a a good, big enough deal, then you could really get low financing. And um, I think it's very tempting. I don't know if you remember that uh, in your career, such a low interest rate. It's uh, it's certainly something. Yeah, yeah, it's it's something uh, probably new. People, I know Israeli investors think about that uh, in Europe, see that in Europe, uh, but in the U.S. it's um, it's it's new to everyone. Um, and I agree. And, and sometimes I feel that uh, some markets have more opportunity, as you said, than others. Um, like for instance, I think Chicago is is getting um, cap rates. Uh, I think I think too high. I think it's it's attractive today, and people just don't like the uh, the, the taxes in in the county. But uh, overall, I think um, long term. Uh, it's still it's Chicago, Philadelphia being closed to uh, New York. It's still closed. There's nothing that's going to change that uh, in our in probably in our lifetime. Um, so I, I agree, opportunity is still there. We just got to be uh, um, very careful in terms of where you're buying. Uh, what do you think the the rent growth is going to be out there? And and probably also the basis and and the scarcity of land because right. in areas that you don't have land, I mean, it's different to buy something in Marshall County. In, in, in Mississippi, in the Memphis metro area, where there's so much land, and buying something in, you know, uh, in, in Philadelphia or the, the, the central or north New Jersey, it's just, uh, it's a different risk 
to that. So that's it. So um, going into a little bit inside the warehouse, do you uh, notice modernization, not just in the structure of supply chain, but also using automation more and more inside the warehouse, um, like the Amazon large facility, multi-story facilities? I mean, what do you experience? Yeah, it's, uh, I do. Uh, the answer is, and, you know, it could be a, uh, you know, 100,000 square foot warehouse in Coatesville, Pennsylvania, where they make ladders for Lowe's and Home Depot. It's amazing the automation and something like that versus, you know, there's, there's six Amazon G4-5s that I mentioned. We're selling one for Dermody in Delaware, and this is a four-story structure. You know, all the product goes into the first floor, goes up into the second, third, and fourth floor. It's sorted. It comes back down and goes out the door. I mean, you're talking about conveyors all over the place. You know, uh, Target's East Coast in York, the same way. I mean, you're talking about 20 miles of conveyors within a warehouse. You know, manufacturing has c come back into the warehouse. We have a, I, I can't mention this yet, but we have a project in the Lehigh Valley that's a million and a half square feet. Let's say they're just 800 and 700. The 800 is production. And then there's a bridge, an automated bridge that brings the product over to the other warehouse where it goes out the door. You're talking about, you know, $200 a foot in cost within the box, within the structure today. And, you know, we didn't talk about food. You asked me early on how this, how these buildings have changed. How has industrial changed? You know, we're way behind. Well, COVID really helped push us. But, you know, Americans have been really behind Europe in terms of food to the door. Now that changed during COVID, but we're still behind. You've seen this, you know, there's hardly any cold storage out there available and the rents have, you know, practically tripled. You know, we didn't even hit on that. So, you know, e-commerce, manufacturing, food, it's all changed. It's all changed our industry. Drastically. Yeah, looking at uh, GoPuff as an example, starting as a, as a small company with a few dozens of locations, I think there are a few hundreds now, and, and I, I heard somewhere that they, they want to go to a few thousands and have lo have distribution centers in regional areas. Uh, it's amazing to see that that happening. Um, and you're thinking this they have to really network the entire nation for 30 minutes or less or less, and they're going to have to have a combination of um, small spaces and larger DCs. And so I think the composition of tenancy also in the smaller space below 200,000 is going to change. We're going to see more of that really last mile uh, delivery, direct to cost a consumer and all that stuff uh, changing. So that's going to impact. So while we're at there, do you see institutional investors coming today more into, do you see the smaller product being more institutional today than it was in the past? Are they willing to purchase a 1980 building? Let's say it's a portfolio of a few hundred millions. Do you see that more interesting than in the past, as long as it's infant? I do. And it's, you know, Adir, it's almost surprising. You know, some of, some of these last days, to your point, some of them might be 30 or 40 years old. I mean, we're selling a project that sits behind a shopping center up in Northeast Philadelphia that is truly a last mile. I mean, it's, it's three and a half miles from the turnpike and two miles from I-95. And it's got houses and retail and everything all around it. But it's, you know, it's, it's not pretty real estate, but it's very functional and it sits on top of households. And I am shocked at how much institutional interest we had in 
that kind of product type. Now, functionality is important in a building. You, know, you can't forget that. So if you've got, you know, an L-shaped design or you can't utilize certain areas, you know, I think users and then ultimately guys like you, investors, are looking at functionality. But, you know, again, older product seems, you know, the, the uh, more institutional investor is, uh, is buying more older product last mile than I would have ever expected. You know, I remember uh, going into um, uh, an, an Amazon facility at midday and most of it was uh, empty. So I asked the, the manager, was it empty? He says, if it's not going to be empty by 2 p.m., how are we supposed to do same-day delivery? And so those last mile facilities, their functionality is important and the location is important, but the clear hide is not as important as, as building a million square footer where you want to put inventory for a few days or a few weeks. And so when we go to most of our properties, we see things coming in and out. There's barely any uh, racking because you don't want to rack something that's going to be out in six hours. So yeah, the, 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 this is critical, of course, for them, not just in terms of location uh, close to the, to the customer, but also, I think, cost. Yeah. The cost is the overall cost of the logistics operation it reduces a lot when you have more locations, inventory, uh, and, and you can really have a van taking that to the to the end customer rather than a, a you know no, no 53 footer is going to do that. Uh, so uh, so you see that changing a lot. Uh, so so Mike, it's we, I, I guess you and I can talk about those things all day. It's been it's been awesome, and and thank you so much for joining our, our podcast uh, uh, today. And we enjoy so much working with uh, CBRE, and uh, especially working with you uh, from our, our Philadelphia office. And we hope to do many more things. Uh, together in the future. So thank you for joining this podcast. Yeah, dear. Thank you. Love working with you guys. You know, Tay has been great and you guys have been great and you got a great thesis and uh, let's continue to go after this as long as it goes. And I think we've got some time. So thank you. Thank you, Mike. And uh, thanks to our listener for listening. Uh, you can see our podcast on Spotify and, and the, uh, the other um, uh, channels and uh, we'll see you on our next one. Thank you.